Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. The first part is the time of day, and the second part is my name. This is a show that does not lack creativity. <laughs> What'd you say? Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Does it get any better? It. I explained yeah. it. No, that's 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 very concisely put. I could yeah. have said it better myself. Thank yeah. you. Yep. Thank you. Yep. And the gentleman speaking before being introduced <laughs> is the power panel today for Guide Talk, Pastor Tom uh, Parish and also uh, Agent 007 Justin Jepson live in studio, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Whoa, that's yeah. unusual. It's yeah. unusual. The Aston Martin is like in the parking lot. And he's wearing a tuxedo, <laughs> which yep. is nice. And the Aston Martin, like he said, is in the parking lot. Yep. And Makes we don't sense. know how long it'll stay. Could be five minutes, could be the whole hour. There could be a crisis somewhere. There could be. <laughs> and could he's got to go. Yep. But we're always glad to have him here. We're going to spend a little bit of time in the second uh, half hour of today's program uh, talking to Justin about his um, ministry that he's involved with now, and the way in which we can uh, be very intentional about prayer. And I'm so excited about that because I've been using um, many of these um, principles for a while, and it's great. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to talking it's, about it's that. It's probably the most underutilized power given to Christians because people pray, but we really don't know how to pray together. Mm. And the kind of things you're doing, I think, will make a huge difference for the church. Mm. Whoever starts the conversation usually controls it. Yep. So if we let God control the conversation and we worship him and give him praise and glory and honor, usually by the time you get to your request, you think to yourself, what are my requests again? Right. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. often in prayer, you come right with your request. You come that's out right. swinging. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why, I mean, I think even a tangible way that I practice that principle, Bill, in terms of who starts the conversation, drives the conversation, is I pray with my Bible open mm-hmm. and my eyes open. So I even it's told... My, my students this afternoon, I said, you know, there's nowhere in Scripture that's commanded that when you pray, you bow your head, close your eyes, and fold your hands. That's normally hands raised up in worship, or I'm actually face down on the ground, uh, spread out, prostrate before the Lord, humbling myself before the Lord. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I love this. I pray. I always pray with an open Bible. I didn't hear a thing you said because I'm so troubled by your hair. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I, seriously, I can't. I can't even concentrate. Wow, Cause I, he, I saw you looking up. Well, I, I, I didn't know what you're looking at. I thought yeah. I something in my forehead. No, or, you didn't. yeah, okay. You just got this hair. I mean, what is the deal well, with this? It looks good, and he's going to heaven too. I love it. He's going to go to heaven too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let me know what your questions are. I've got the text line open eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Again, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. It is guy talk, but I think we're going to spend a little bit of the second half hour uh, looking at what your prayer needs are and what we can pray for, how we can pray for you. And last week we did uh, some of that in the guy talk hour and it was sensational. Mm. And I want to do more of it as we get closer and closer to Holy week. Absolutely. Great idea. Yeah. But I do have some questions that have come in and one came in and I want to start with this one. um, If I can find it, you'd think I'd be better prepared, but you know, (laughs) that's the way it goes. All right, I'm just excited. To have we'll you wait. Guys. We'll wait for you, Bill. Yeah, I, I know you will. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, Lucille wants to know: God, our Creator, made us with all our uniqueness. Do the guys think that there is life like ours 
in other places in the universe? You know, that's a great question. I agree. Yeah. Um, You know, I think it's one that I've wondered about a lot, one I've certainly been asked about a lot. And, uh, I mean, I don't see anywhere in Scripture that would give us um, any idea of that being the case. Um, And I think that, you know, one of the arguments that I've heard about this is that, you know, if you consider how huge the universe is, how small we are, how much more is out there that we don't even know is there, you know, and they, an argument is made that because of the expansiveness of the universe, how could there not be the possibility of life elsewhere? And, you know, the reality is the universe, first and foremost, wasn't made um, to as a place for life to be inhabited, but it was meant to, dis- to declare the glory and the greatness of God. And so first and foremost, we should see the expansiveness of the universe and all that is out there to essentially bring us to the place of being awestruck over just how huge and how great and how glorious and how awesome God is. But then secondly, the fact that he focused on this teeny tiny little planet called Earth and that he formed it, created it, and he chose that to be the place to make and create his own image bears, uh, to represent his uh, his glory on earth, um, but then and and beyond. And so I think that's, I, I guess I don't personally believe that there is, but um, just given the, the, the purpose of why we were created and how God created, but mm-hmm. I don't know, Tom, what do you think? Well, I'm not concerned if there is. I don't worry <laughs> about that for a very simple reason. The Bible insists that Jesus didn't just die for the earth. He died for the universe. He died for the entire cosmos. And that's what it says in John three sixteen. For God so loved the cosmos, which we translate mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. that he gave his only begotten son. So the whole, all of that is covered. The other thing is this. I believe in what Solomon said. And I remember an old missionary. I, I read about this missionary. This missionary was back in the 1600s. When they went into Gwent, past the Allegheny Mountains, were trying to go out among the tribal people. He said, I went with confidence because Solomon had already told me that eternity was in their hearts. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that there was something already there. All I had to do was give them the clear picture of who Jesus was. Mm-hmm. And he said, it was amazing how many of them already had a pretty good picture, but didn't have the full picture. Mm-hmm. So if, if aliens show up, Bill and, and Justin... Please call me. I will go and talk to them immediately because I believe eternity is probably there, and I'd like to have a conversation. But there's nothing in the Bible to prove it one way or the other. That's right. Great answers. Thanks for that. All right. Here's another question that came in, and I had a chance to look at this a little bit, but I'll let you guys comment. And this is a a listener that uh, was, she said, I'm very pro-life for more reasons than just religious ones, but I don't know what to make of an answer that... Uh, she saw on a website, I looked at the website, it was written by an atheist, so we have to take that mm-hmm. with a grain of salt. But he was quoting Numbers chapter 5, and it does seem like God was cruel here and that men almost owned women in Old Testament times. I'd love to hear any insight as to what you guys can give on this. Hmm. We know in the Old Testament there was a different standard because of the sinfulness of people. I don't think it was ever the Lord's will, you know, that that Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Mm. I think it's part of what the culture was. So the Lord is taking people that are totally fallen, and he's bringing them to the truth. And by the time you get to Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus does not back up multiple wives or treating women Mm. poorly or anything else. He said, you know, God created the male and female, and the two shall become one. And in terms of women, I'm always astounded who was the very first one to receive a commission from the risen Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. but Mary Magdalene? 
So he was not a respecter of male or female in that sense, but he's telling us today part of my role as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, is to treat everyone uh, with respect and to look at women as the way Jesus looks at them, not the way, you know, just my sinful nature would want to, you know, look at somebody. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think the Old Testament gives a justification for what happened. And I would caution every reader, when you read in Numbers, don't jump to the conclusion, this was God's will that they did this. You know, they are telling you the story of what happened. But the will of the Lord is really fully revealed in the person of Jesus. Yeah. And 2,000 years ago, he said no to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really well said, Tom. I think it's always important to have in mind, you know, what Scripture is prescribing, what, you know, what God's will is versus what it's describing. And, you know, in living in a patriarchal society, certainly the ways that uh, men had treated women were not in accordance with God's uh, design and purpose and will. And I think we see that fully realized and, and fulfilled in the way Jesus elevated women where he uh, uh, demonstrated extreme dignity, value, and worth. The fact that he had women disciples and women that were following him, that was only supposed to be a role for a man. The the fact that Mary could sit at Jesus' feet, that was the position of a disciple. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, the first ones to witness the resurrection and to tell the good news of that were women. And, uh, And so they ministered with and along Jesus and and again, same with Paul. You look at Romans 16 at the end of, you know, that, that of the letter and all the list of names that he mentioned, so many of them of he, that he regards in such high honor and favor are, are women as co-laborers of the Great Commission with him. Yep. Great response. All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, plenty of time for you to ask your questions. Let me know what they are. You can ask them anonymously. Send them over to 877-933-933. 2484. Again, 877-933-2484. So glad to have Tom and Justin with me today. Be right back. the show. Guy Talk is happening. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Tom Paris, Justin Jepson are here with me today. And here's a question, gentlemen. I have a friend who will only spend time reading Jesus's words and will refuse to read the other parts of the Bible, claiming it's man's interpretation and not Jesus's actual words. While spending time in what Jesus is saying is good, Paul and the rest of the New Testament have good things to say. How can I help him see the rest of the Bible is good too? I don't think First Timothy scriptures God breathed will help in this matter. Thank you. It's interesting. I've heard this argument before. <laughs> Basically, what it comes down to is this. Jesus identified himself as the Logos, the Word of God. Now, the Word of God doesn't just mean a human being walking around that represents the Lord. It means the totality of the Word which would include Genesis to Revelation. You can't get away from that. He is the author of the entire Bible. And I have believed that now for 50 years, that Jesus is their ultimate author through people. Yes. But when you're reading Paul, you're still getting the words of Jesus coming through Paul, just like you do 
Because after all, you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus didn't write a single word that we know of as, as a scribe. Matthew wrote it. Mark wrote it. Luke wrote it. John wrote it. So, But Jesus spoke through them. And so if this gentleman is going to say, I only will take Jesus' words that are in the Gospels, uh, he's defying himself. He's working backwards against himself because if Jesus isn't the author of the whole thing, then none of it's reliable. But he is. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, Justin? and I think you have to recognize, I mean, the, the, the New Testament, about a third of the New Testament is the Old Testament. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, it directly quotes it over 300 times. It alludes to it over 2,300 times. And in Jesus, I, I think one of the places that came to my mind right away was in Luke 24, um, a week after <laughs> the resurrection, um, and he's walking with these two disciples kind of incognito. They don't recognize that it's Jesus. And they're all you know, up in arms and kind of confused as to all of what happened in Jerusalem. And they, you know, hadn't viewed the risen Jesus or recognized him yet. And uh, and at the end of it, he it says at the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wow. And so essentially they have this Bible study with Jesus and Jesus is, is laying out how the, the whole Old Testament is pointing to him. And now we can't, I believe, um, just read Jesus's own words in as recorded in the New Testament, we're not going to be able to fully understand that without having the Old Testament backdrop as Jesus did, because Jesus is essentially, he is the word become flesh. He's the author of the whole thing. And so yeah. we need to understand the whole story altogether, I think, to fully appreciate the actual words that, you know, they show up in red in a lot of translations, right? The red, you know, but we're not going to fully comprehend what those mean and interpret them rightly and then apply them faithfully unless we understand the Old Testament backdrop from which they came. Exactly. And I believe on the road to Emmaus, it was seven miles from Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And I know you can walk uh, uh, four miles in roughly an hour if you really, really walk fast. So about a two-hour walk. And I think that Jesus had a very long discussion about himself in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. There was a lot to touch on. Mm. And I love that this did not our hearts burn within us while yeah. he opened to us the scriptures. The scriptures. And so there's a sense in which, I mean, Jesus was, he was talking about the old, the, you know, the prophecies, the Old Testament law, the Psalms. And so that's essentially shorthand, you know, for the whole Hebrew Bible. It is. And Great answers. Well. Here's another question. Gentlemen, the longer I am a Christian, the more dear and important is the canon of Scripture. Can mm-hmm. we be absolutely sure everything was included that should have been? An interesting question. I'll hang yeah. up and listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, yeah, I, I would say yes, but to qualify that there's a whole huge can of worms we can open up there in terms of talking about the, the different, how the Bible was canonized. And, we, you know, it wasn't fully, you know, the Old Testament wasn't fully canonized until uh, um, about 90 AD in the New Testament until, you know, 320 uh, something and uh, um, AD. And so... Um, there, there is a long uh, history of how that come came to be about, um, and I think we can trust the the Spirit's direction with all, with how this Holy Spirit worked in the the life of the early church to bring to completion the canon as the New Testament was still being written and to clarify its unity of message, um, and as that was weighed against the backdrop of 
um, other gospels, other writings, and other things that were coming out that weren't matching up with uh, the storyline of the Old and then the New Testament. And so I think, yeah, we can be very, um, I think we can be very confident that what we see in the 66 books are um, are authoritative. Yep. And But I think at the same time, what's not in the canon, you know, the Apocrypha, for example, or the Pseudepigrapha, so these are the Old Testament the books written in the Old Testament time or the books written between the Old and the New Testament give us a great glimpse into the historical context and the culture that gave rise to the New Testament that can help us better to rightly understand um, and interpret what we do see in the New Testament. I agree. You know, if you want to be honest about the canonization, if you look at it historically, it was a kind of a messy process. I mean, it took time, and you had human beings involved and, and all this and that. But here's where I come from. I have two arguments on this. Number one, if I'm going to believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead, okay, and is alive forevermore, and my whole faith is based on that, then canonizing the Bible is very simple for the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so what we have today, after 2,000 years from when Jesus rose from the dead to what we presently have, I think is all we ultimately need. I think it's there. You know, the other part of that argument is is when you look at the scriptures, um, it's amazing how there's a unity and a consistency mm-hmm. and how the early church saw that. I'm one of these people, I believe, I believe for a long time that all the New Testament books were written before 70 AD. And I've, I've always held that view and written papers on it. The reason is simple. Jesus talked a lot about the temple. Mm-hmm. The Disciples talked a lot about the temple. Jesus talked about the destruction of the temple. We know in 70 AD, the Romans came in and destroyed it top to mm-hmm. bottom. If they had written after that, even John, why wouldn't he have put that in? Why wouldn't mm-hmm. he have said what Jesus said came true? So as part of my argument, it's not the best argument, but I, I look at it and see that all of this was written. So it was contemporary. Mm-hmm. All of the apostles and the first generation all read these writings and said, we affirm these. They mm-hmm. make sense to us. This is what Jesus was really about. Yep. And I think just to add to that, too, you look at what's in for the New Testament example. I mean, every single book that in there had apostolic authority. It did. It had, whether it was an actual apostle uh, one of the original ones that were there and actually witnessed these things, or the you know, like, like Mark, for example, wasn't one of the twelve, but he was closely associated with Peter, and he got a lot of his Peter. You know, Luke wasn't as well, but Luke compiled and did all the interviews and all, and collected yeah. these stories and then compiled them in a, in a in a new and a different way. But all of these things were written at a period of time about people that were still living when they were written, and yeah. so they had witnesses that could confirm or deny what actually did or did not happen. And so I think the amount of time from when the actual event happened historically to when it was actually written down, I mean, it's a matter of decades, which compared to other historical documents in, in ancient Near East, I mean, it rise, it's head and shoulders above yeah. uh, in terms of its historical truthfulness. There's yeah. nothing like it. That's awesome. So the earlier question that was asked about life on other planets, you guys, I thought, did a great job of responding. Uh, Rosella jumped in with this comment. Dr. Hugh Ross of Reasons to Believe, I've had him on the show, a very smart guy, said God created the universe uh, just the right size to play out the drama of good and evil. God can do whatever he wants, but the Earth's position and resources are incredibly finely tuned to support life as yes. we know. That's right. Yes. Also yeah. known as the privileged planet. Yes. Yeah. I mean, look at the distance uh, that we are from the sun, even the access. You know, if we were off at all, just a little bit, we, I mean, we couldn't. I mean, God handcrafted this planet for for life. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely mm-hmm. right. I, I agree. And the 
I, we don't know of any other planets or any other solar systems that even come close to what we have. So it is a unique creation in and of itself. Uh, the key for me is is that Jesus is Lord over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And yep. so he's not surprised by anything. He knows exactly what's there and what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And my wingman, Terry, says, of course, one of secret agent Justin's favorite verses is when Jesus is walking incognito. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow, that's sharp. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Observation. Yes. Crushed it. Wow. Yeah. Caught me. Yeah. Caught me. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know what to do as a believer in Jesus, and I'm afraid to talk openly about my problem. Maybe Guy Talk can help here. I remain anonymous. I've been married for 20 years. I've never cheated on my wife. My problem is I have no romantic feelings or desire to be intimate with her. What do I do? Ooh. I think we need a counselor here, not us. That's a tough one. And then, I'm going to let go you ahead. go first on this, Tom. Yeah, with your, your, You've been married longer, Tom. You've been married longer, so I'll, I'll give my less experienced uh, piece of advice. You know, feelings are funny things. I don't trust my feelings. Uh, they can go up and down. Uh, I can be watching a movie. Oh, the, the other day I was watching something on YouTube, and the guy hit the baseball, and it came right into the camera. You know, I've seen that before, but I still jump out of the chair when that happens. So, you know, my emotions are one thing. What we're looking at here is that Christianity... If this gentleman is saying he's a Christian, Christianity is a choice of love. It don't have to always feel it, and you may not feel it, but you made a covenant when you got married, and you said, I will be faithful to this woman and this man for the rest of my life with Jesus being head. So my attitude is this. Start doing the things that amount to love. Start writing the love, little love notes. Start mm-hmm. buying the little flowers. Start saying kind things. And I've had actually couples that have done this that have come to me and said, we want to get divorced. We don't love each other anymore. And I said, all right, I'll tell you what, give me 30 days. And in 30 days, I can't help you. You can leave. Mm-hmm. And I've actually had them. And I learned this from others. This wasn't unique to me. What I did is I said, every day, you've got to come up with two things positive to say about the other person. Mm-hmm. And you've got to verbalize it to them. Mm-hmm. Like, you really look nice today. Or mm-hmm. you're really smart. Or what you did was really helpful. And we'll see where we go. So we met every week after that, and I prayed with them. At the end of 30 days, I said, so, do you want to get a divorce? And they looked at me like I was crazy, and they said, well, no, we love each other. <laughs> <laughs> All right, follow That's, that 007. Wow, well, I, I'm, yeah, I should, I should have gone first. So <laughs> Man, well, yes, I, I, to your point, I would, first of all, let me just say to this listener, to this brother, like, thank you for bringing this question. Amen. Um, because I think where you're at, you're not alone. And, and so many others uh, have been there or are there. And so I think a key aspect of this is recognizing that you're, you didn't get to where you are alone or perhaps, but you're not going to get out of where you are alone. Um, and it's really important to find a close, trusted circle of other brothers yeah. in Christ that you can uh, begin to open up with about this. Um, and so hopefully this is the start of that. But I would say, you know, uh, one of the questions that uh or the verses that come to my mind is in hebrews 2 or sorry hebrews revelation 2 when jesus talks to the ephesians saying that you lost your the church enough you lost love. your first love but he says do three things he says remember from where you have fallen repent and um and, and do the works that you did at first mm-hmm. so in other words we felt you don't we don't fall out of love we grow out of love so go back to where you were and, and pick up where you left Perfect off all right we'll take a break when we come back we want to pray for you you have a prayer request let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Tom, Justin, and I want to lift up your prayer concerns. Be right back.
Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson are my power panel today, and I love these guys, and it's so great to be in studio with both of them. It makes me very happy. Uh, Justin has uh, moved on from his position here at the University of Northwestern. He used to be director of the chapel services and did a lot of contact with students and mentored them and encouraged them, but he's moved on to working with Strategic Prayer Renewal. Did I say that right? Yeah, strategic renewal. Strategic yep. And I'm renewal, still here about, as an adjunct professor, uh, so I still get to be in the yeah. you know the lives of students, yes. thankfully. So. Yeah, but we're uh, I'm I'm fascinated with the uh, approach that you have at strategic renewal in terms of prayer and mm-hmm. the principles of it. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit today because I know as we're looking towards Easter and Holy Week coming up, anything we can do to encourage people in their prayer life and to improve it is time such worth well spent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about that. Okay. Okay. Do you have an opening question or do you want me just to launch well, in or how do you want to? You know, I just got done being talking in a very excited fashion about it. So I think, I think the, <laughs> I don't know if I can recreate the energy I just I, had. Well, and I can't stop thinking about what's for dinner after hearing <laughs> your answer. <laughs> exactly. But what I, what I find particularly useful are the prayer guides Yeah. where we take a passage of scripture, dissect mm. it line for line, verse for verse, and then we yeah. pray through it. Yeah. And we can certainly uh, do that on the show today, but talk yeah. about the strategy behind that. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, the phrase that we talk about is is scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer. So to kind of parse that out, scripture-fed, so we're, we're recognizing that the best way to commune or to talk with God is from his own word. If we're doing that from scripture, we know that our prayer is going to be led by the spirit or spirit-led because that's the word that the Holy Spirit inspired. And so the same Holy Spirit that inspired the words of the human authors to write down what was written also dwells inside of us to illuminate our understanding, to understand what was written. Um, and then it's it's worship based, and so I think the first and f- the most important aspect of you know of of scripture is it reveals to us who God is, mm-hmm. and um, and the the best foundation of all of our praying is that God is worthy to be sought. And so um, when we open up a passage of scripture, our first question is who who is God? And the reason why you know we do it that way is isn't you know wasn't my idea or someone's idea. This is actually the way Jesus taught and actually commanded his disciples to pray. You know, and so and I think it's really um, noteworthy to recognize that the only question we have recorded in the Gospels of Jesus' disciples asking of Jesus to teach them how to do something was Jesus teach us how to pray. pray. And then he responded in Luke 11 and in Matthew 6 um, and with what we've kind of called the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And in the Greek, as Tom knows, um, that that's in the imperative sense. So it's not a it's not a suggestion; it's a command. Mm-hmm. He's literally saying, "Pray this way." And I'm I'm convinced to the degree in which we pray like Jesus will be to the degree in which we pray Scripture. Yep, fantastic. So I'm looking at Psalm 42, which is one you did a really nice breakdown of. <laughs> okay. I'm serious, and I love that. And I love the way that Psalm 42 starts as a as a deer pants for flowing streams. So my so pants my soul for you, O God. Yeah. And as we just try to break it down and we try to talk about God's praiseworthy attributes, mm-hmm. he is the satisfier of our souls. Mm-hmm. He is the living God. He is present and approachable. Mm-hmm. He's worthy of glad shouts and songs of praise. And this is all right out of Psalm 42. Yeah. So yeah, this is a beautiful approach. 
Yeah, and, and and real simply, I mean, anyone can do this starting right now. If you open up Psalm 42, and actually, and I do it in my Bible, I'm actually very selective about what I write or highlight, but Psalms, I, I actually will highlight every attribute of God. So anything that I see in the Psalm, I'll just highlight that's God's praiseworthy attribute. And then I'll, I'll, I'll actually write then kind of in the margin a little kind of prompt of prayer. So, um, you know, how, how can I take something that's directly from one of the passages, one of the verses of Psalm 42, and then just use that as an entry point of a prayer of reverence to God? And so, so for example, for me, I've literally written in my Bible, uh, Lord, my soul longs for you because you are. And then because you are present and approachable, mm-hmm. because you are the God who is with us, because you are the satisfier of, of my soul. Uh, because when when I'm cast down in my soul, you are the one who's there and comforts me. Because and so all the, all that is doing is it's not trying to give us a strict, um, uh, you know, kind of formula to follow. It's just to give us a guide of a way that the scripture can be applied in prayer. Mm. You know, it's interesting, Justin. Maybe you've seen this. I've led a lot of prayer groups. We get together, to pray for two, three hours. It was when we prayed scripture mm. that people broke down in tears. Yeah. And I, I think what I saw in that is that we have a tendency as human beings to only go so far in prayer in the presence of others. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to tell you my marriage is a mess or that <laughs> I think these stupid thoughts or anything like that. We hold that in. The scripture that reveals it, and I've had people literally break down in tears and say, I, I didn't realize the Lord understood that. Mm-hmm. I mean, as silly as that sounds, mm-hmm. but it's a powerful thing. And that's why this approach I think is one of the most important approaches to prayer mm-hmm. because we have a tendency to wander all over the place in prayer. This brings us into the mind of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, I will never forget one of the first times that I ever led a time of prayer from a passage of scripture. I really didn't know. I tried as best I could to put together some guide. And I was with a group of men really early in the morning. I'm not a morning person. And I remember we prayed for uh, a whole hour yeah. out of a psalm. And for most of these guys, they'd never prayed maybe longer than 10 minutes. Right. And I remember at the end of that meeting, one of them put his head up and he said, wow, I have never prayed like that before. And he goes, and I said, well, what do you mean? And he goes, I've never prayed God's, like, that was so powerful. And I'm like, well, it was different. He goes, well, we prayed God's word. And I was like, it was just so, it was like, we entered into one of the very purposes of why God gave us his word. And it, it sustains our focus because there's always more to observe. There's always more there. So then there's always more fuel for our prayer. What I've always found interesting in prayer time is that we go into prayer and it's like we're not praying. We're telling the Lord, my mm. cousin's sick. Yeah. My cousin's got cancer. They've been through, you know, like the Lord doesn't know. Yeah. You know, the Lord knows everything. Yeah. We have a tendency to do that. Instead of seeking the Lord in it, the Psalms don't allow us to do that. When you pray that, or the scripture doesn't allow it. Even you go to the New Testament. I prayed a lot of the New Testament. It doesn't permit that. It takes you right to the source yeah. and said, this is what you need. You need the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. You need his power and love. And I know I did a whole prayer time around John 17, 3, huh. you know, and this is <laughs> eternal life that they know you, the one true yeah. God and Jesus Christ, you've been sent. And the whole prayer time among people that would not pray for an hour on anything mm-hmm. was about knowing yeah. Knowing the Lord, that mm-hmm. intimacy. And I literally remember people saying, I, I didn't realize I could have this kind of intimacy. Yeah. So what you're doing is extremely important. Yeah. Which I love when you said intimacy, you know, there's, a, I believe it was a um, pastor theologian by the name of Alvin Reed gave the best definition of prayer I've ever heard um, outside of what you see in the scripture. And he said, prayer is intimacy with God. Yep. 
that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. And so in other words, a lot of people define prayer as conversation or, or, or as us talking to God. And it, it, it is that, but it's not just that. Because if all prayers is just talking to God, it makes us one big mouth and God one big ear, right? And we're coming to him with our agenda. But if we come to him humbly surrendering to, you know, recognizing who he is, first and foremost, recognizing who we're praying to, who we get to know, it's it's really about intimacy with God. And that, that involves, yes, us speaking, but I think first and foremost, us listening and yeah. receiving. Yeah. If we're, if we're celebrating the attributes of God that we see in Scripture— it starts to condition us to be reminded of who we're talking to. Yeah, exactly. And it lingers beyond the prayer time when you get into trouble or things happen. It's amazing how that scripture can come back. Now, you guys know I've been with a lot of people at the moment of death. Mm. What I find interesting are the Christians that have either prayed scripture or memorized scripture. Even in a coma, Mm. they start quoting the scriptures. There is a Mm. power there that we don't fully understand, but which we need to tap into. Yeah, yeah. So, well, oh, go ahead, Justin. Well, no, I was just going to say, because, you know, Tom, you mentioned before, um, you know, this idea that we, we tend to approach prayer first from kind of the basis of our requests, right. you know, and recognizing our need, which is, I mean, it's crucial. We're, we're called to do that. But what's so interesting is if you follow the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, it, it begins with the reverence and, and recognizing who God is, praising Him for who He is. It actually then uh, follows with the response of, of submission of surrender to His kingdom, and then Jesus moves to requests. And so G- Jesus gets there, but I've found if when we worship the Lord and spend time surrendering to him, I'll end up not only praying about things I didn't think I needed to pray for, but the things that I know I did need to pray for, I will pray for with a lot more faith mm-hmm. and zeal because I've been reminded who I'm, I've, who I'm communing with and who I kind of intimacy with. I mean, when I read that God protects us, I think that's so true. He protected me today because Justin and I have an identical size cup of coffee here in the studio, and I almost drank out of his cup. That's scary. See, you see how God's protecting me? It is. That's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So Yours is from Starbucks, way. and mine's from Dumb Brothers. That's why, <laughs> that's why I drink a Diet Coke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but let's say we've spent some time talking about his praiseworthy attributes, and we're just still in Psalm 42. For those of you who mm-hmm. might have access to your Bible and you open 42, and you realize he's the satisfier of our souls. He's our living God. He's present and approachable. He's worthy of glad shouts and songs of praise. He's our hope. He's our salvation. He's our steadfast love. He's the God of our life. He's our rock. He's sovereign over suffering. Mm. Then we can start to get into the place, Justin, and you can share this about how you can maybe have some prayer prompts as a result of this uh, psalm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mentioned before, um, you know, uh, Lord, my soul longs for you because you are. You know, but I think there's a lot of other different, um, you know, prompts that you can use. I mean, you know, that, that and I think all the prayer prompts are trying to do is to take something uh, from the scriptures and how you speci- can make it specific and dynamic to your own life, you know. And so, um, and it's helping you recognize what's already there. So another example would be, Lord, thank you for satisfying my soul when. So if the Lord is the satisfier of our soul, let's let's be reminded of when he's done that. And even in the reminding of that, it refreshes us uh, and, and reframes our perspective, you know, um, because Psalm 42, it's, it's a psalm of lament. I mean, and it's, it's, it's a psalm of complete just gut honesty and actually flows right into Psalm 43. They're actually usually probably, they're actually probably were the same psalm in the Hebrew, and they are, they are in the Hebrew Bible. Um, but just the, that idea, you, you can take a, a specific uh, attribute of God, let's just say of God being our salvation, and 
You can say, God, thank you that you've saved me from, or I praise you that you've saved me from. Um, and that's kind of more of a very specific attribute. Or you can take a very general approach and just simply, Bill, you just listed off all of what mm-hmm. Psalm 42 reveals to us about yeah. God. I mean, you can just simply say, God, I praise you because. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's wide open. Um, and you can fill it in. If you do that in a group setting, um, you know, which, by the way, you talked about, you know, Tom, most Christians, you know, that we learn about prayer so much, at least in the Western world, from an individualistic perspective. But if you notice, all the personal pronouns in the Lord's Prayer are are plural. Mm-hmm. And most of the commands in the New Testament, you know, when it says you, like, you know, to pray without ceasing, um, we, we we interpret that individually. And even I don't have the geographical credibility to say y'all because I'm from Minnesota. But <laughs> the best way to think of it would be y'all pray without ceasing. That's essentially what Paul's saying. He's, he's, he's Most of the commands in the New Testament pray is to pray together. Yeah. So if you're praying together, someone could have, you could all have Psalm 42 open and let's just say, just fill in this this prayer this prayer prompt. God, we praise you because you are. And people will start noticing things in the text, and often things that I never saw before, and that you start to see the Spirit guiding and leading and directing. Or you could say, you know what? Let's think about a time where God has been our hope in the midst of difficulty. And God, we, we, right now we want to thank you that you have been our hope when. And right. you're just giving a specific entry point about a specific attribute. So those are kind of two different approaches. Mm-hmm. Again, not not as a strict script to follow, but as as a guide that can widely be applied in a lot of different ways. I have a great quote, if I may share it. It says, the quote says, It is not the power of our prayers that move the hand of Jesus, but the power of the Holy Spirit that moves us to pray so that Jesus' will is accomplished. Wow, think about that for a yeah. minute. We're not telling Jesus what needs to be done. He already knows mm-hmm. what he needs to do is communicate to us yeah. so that we become into his mind and do what is appropriate. And I'll be honest, uh, most of the time I don't, I think I know what that is, but I really don't know what that is in individual lives and in situations. When I get directed by the spirit though, it's incredible the things that happen. And every Christian has this opportunity. And Bill, I like what you did in breaking down the Psalm, you know, those attributes of God. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. You know, and to continue to mull that over, you know, through the rest of the day is very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. Before we go to break, Tom Parrish, would you uh, pray for Stephen, who is informing his employer tomorrow that he's leaving after seven years and he's moving on to something else? Pray Mm -hmm. for boldness and for it to be received well. Absolutely. Lord Jesus, we lift up Stephen to you. You know what, uh, where he's going and what he's being called to. And Lord, I pray that you'll give him wisdom and you'll give him the right words with his boss. And I pray that his boss will be receptive, Lord. I pray that they part on good terms. And I pray that you will propel him into another line of work, uh, another position where he can not only gain an income, but Lord, represent you. So Jesus, use this to your honor and glory and give Steve your blessing. Amen. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with lots more Guide Talk. Uh, we're talking in this half hour about power of prayer and some wonderful prayer strategies. So if you uh, just joined us, uh, we've kind of stopped taking questions this uh, half hour, but we are going to, we're going to continue talking about prayer. Justin and Tom are my guests. Be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Tom Paris, Justin Jepson are my in-studio guests today. And Justin is here in person today, which makes us very happy, doesn't it, Tom? He does, and I've discovered he's really real. He's not just on a screen and you I go know. to a movie and see. <laughs> he's really real. Yes, and I do have some news about the raises, and the answer is no. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so I know that's why you came in person, but there's no there's no. I thought no you provided reasons. food, though, because every no. time I, you guys always talk about the drinks and the, the sandwiches and that's the treats. That's when you and... aren't here. Oh, <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. Got to keep you motivated. All right, as we're talking about prayer and being uh, kind of in a structure where we can really uh, honor and worship and have intimacy with God as we pray, um, we're talking to Justin. He works with strategicrenewal.com and is also an adjunct professor here at the University of Northwestern. And uh, you know him because he's been with the program for a long time. But uh, as we kind of study Psalm 42, let's continue looking at what some responses might be. Yeah. Like, for example, um, and this is a, something that you wrote, Justin, so I'm, I'm not surprising you with anything. But a response might be, Lord, I admit my soul is cast down and help me to hope in you. Lord, when others say, where is your God? I will remember that you, and then fill in the blank Yeah. as to how it, how God was there for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me in particular with Psalm 42 being a Psalm of lament, it's, it's reminded me that scripture gives us the language um, at the soul and the heart level. And I, and I think at least for me in the tradition that I grew up in, you know, I think prayer sometimes can be, you know, overly celebratory, victorious, happy, clappy, slap, you know, all that, you know, I, but what, what about the the pain and the difficult and the dark and where's God in the midst of that? And so many people that I know that have maybe walked away from the church or walked away from God because they feel they haven't been given uh, or taught. How do I actually address God? How, how is God in, there in the midst of that? And that's one of the things I love about the Psalms in general, but Psalm 42 in particular I mean, I love that he says, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Even could I just admit, come to the place of, you know, honesty before God that he already knows, right? Um, what I'm thinking and feeling better than I do. But there's something about me vocalizing it and actually expressing it in prayer. that it brings God into that pain. And, it, and I begin to see him and it, my circumstances might not change. <laughs> maybe, maybe for a long time or ever. However, I begin to change. My character begins to change. I begin to trust God more. I begin to recognize that I can actually have joy and sorrow at the same time and um, and recognize God's purpose for it in the, in that moment. And so really all that all that's do, all you know all we're doing here in, in response is you know if we're saying Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done, what does that look like in Psalm 42? Well part of it is the submission and the surrender of the things that maybe I'm wanting to have control over and I release that and so often I'm sorrowful about living in the fact that we live in a broken, fallen world. And Psalm 42 gives me the language to how to commune with God around that. You know, what you're talking about really hits a chord with me. My brother, older brother, passed away a number of years ago with cancer. But he was 10 years older. And so he basically babysat me the first six, seven years of my life. I mean, he took me to football games and we did all things together. What was good about that is I so trusted Doug. That was his name. I so trusted him. It didn't matter what circumstance we were in. I knew he'd protect me. I knew he was there. Mm. That's what this kind of prayer is about. It's not necessarily getting every answer for every problem that we've got or getting everything settled in our life. It's drawing closer to the Lord himself. And when you get closer to Jesus, guess what? You can face things in a different way than you face them on your own. And that's what I could always do with Doug. 
And uh, so that's how I think about Jesus. Yep. So good. All right. Let's talk about requests, because we all have mm-hmm. requests when we come to God. Yeah. But we sort of position this to be one of the last things we do mm-hmm. in prayer. Do I have that right? Yeah. Well, if you, you know, again, following the, you know, the Lord's Prayer can be broken up into a lot of different, you know, um, kind of formats or themes. But, you know, the, one of the models that we see kind of emerge from the text is that there's kind of a fourfold you know, theme uh, or focus. You know, you have upward looking at reverence, downward looking at response, inward now requests. And uh, what's so, you know. Say that one more time. Upward. Upward, um, reverencing God for who he is. Reverencing God for who he is. Yeah, looking downward, downward, response. So my submission and surrender. So in other words, when I recognize who God is, first things I recognize is that I'm not. (laughs) Right. Normally I'm not living in alignment with his will and way and kingdom. So that's really the theme of that response of surrendering myself again afresh to his kingdom. I love that. And then we're really positioned to bring our requests to our heavenly father. And in doing so, I would say with the motive that's off, that's at least more pure than when I first began. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but what's so amazing about the way Jesus, you know, lays this out, you know, he says, give us this day our daily bread and then uh, forgive us our sins or trespasses. We forgive those who trespass or sin against us. If you, if you were to take any uh, prayer list or any request that you have ever heard, it usually falls into one or two of those categories of, of a resource need, give us to stay our daily bread, that daily provision, or a relationship need, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And so really, what does this text call us or invite us to pray about? And, you know, looking at Psalm 42, um, I've written my Bible, um, you know, again, hoping God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. So here would be a maybe a relationship request. Um, who do you know right now that is in a dark or difficult time and they're feeling hopeless? Who do you know who's far from the Lord, who doesn't know His saving power? You could simply pray, Lord, bring your hope and salvation too. And again, it's just taking one of the verses from Psalm 42 as an entry point for how to intercede and how to pray, and. Um, what, what, what's so powerful about this for me, Bill, is so often I think, you know, we learn to pray by praying and so often we hear others pray, you know, Lord, would you just kind of be with him or be with her? Would you mm-hmm. bless her or be with her? Well, what are we actually saying? What do we actually know if God answered our prayer? <laughs> Sometimes it's so, right. you know, like the idea of, uh, you know, if my son came up to me and said, Hey dad, would you please bless me with the blessing? Uh, okay, sure. You know, like I, I wouldn't know what he's talking. But if his dad, it's really hot outside. Can we go get some ice cream? You know, to cool up. Well, yeah, I know exactly what he's asking, and I'm going to answer it, and he's going to know that I answered it. Right. And so it really specifies our request, but it does so rooted in the character of God and who He is, and 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 also flowing from a place of submission and surrender that God also knows this person and his and his or her needs better than I do. Mm-hmm. I think pastors can really help and church leaders. One of the things I've learned to do a long time ago, every class I teach, oftentimes even in the worship service, I'll begin by saying, "Anybody have any word from the Lord in terms of how He's answered your prayer, how He's spoken to you in some way or whatever?" Because if we don't see the connection, we don't understand where our prayers are going. Mm, so right. good. So we've got a couple of prayer requ- requests that have come in. And Justin, if you wouldn't mind, I would yeah. want to give some uh, praise uh, for a 23-year-old daughter who has gone through chemo and survived it. And praise doing God. Good. And just pray for continued healing. And then yeah. another um, uh, listener is uh, really facing some mountainous financial hurdles. Okay. Those are the two. Okay. Well, Father, we are so grateful that we can come before your throne of grace, and we do so wanting to celebrate the way that you've worked your grace uh, for this listener, this 23-year-old, 
and for uh, the chemo that has gone well. And and we pray for the continued healing because you are a healer. And uh, we pray that um, you would help this listener as well to, to know um, you deeper uh, in and through this time uh, of healing and, and even and maybe perhaps the uncertainty that will follow in the coming days, but they can be certain about you and that you are with them. Uh, but God, we want to say thank you. Um, and we're also mindful of those that are battling cancer that maybe the chemo hasn't gone well or those that have lost their lives. And we pray that you'd help us to uh, mourn and weep with those who weep and that we can be conduits of comfort for them. And we pray as well for this listener, uh, for this financial concern. Uh, Lord, we know that you you own everything. The earth uh, is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, Psalm 24 says. And, and, and we know that um, you are able and willing to provide. And so I pray that you bring this listener to a deeper place of submission and a surrender to you and uh, a trust and a dependence on you to provide what they need when they need it. And when you do provide, that they would have the wisdom to steward it wisely for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Amen. I love being with my brothers. This thank is you, just so great. Good yeah. for us. That wraps up our Guy Talk Hour. Coming up next, Canon J. John, all the way from the U.K., is going to talk to Peter Kapsner and I about contentment. What a perfect hour following this. We'll take a short break and be right back with Hour 2. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.